Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. today. My name's Justin. If, if you didn't hear that, um, I'm really glad to be here. God lets me be a pastor of this wild bunch around here, and I'm really excited for uh, for the coming year and what's beginning in this season. Um, last week, we, Casey uh, began for us this new series called Enough, which has been about fa- finding our, uh, our limitations in a world that feels often so very exhausted and overextended. I mean, every single day, you and I, we're, we're bombarded with advertisements, are we, aren't we, of, of just constant uh, car commercials, technology, telling us that we have to get and have more. And if we get this one product, if we get this new car, if we use this new skincare regime, then everything will be what we want it to be. All our wildest dreams will come true. But how do you think we're doing in a world that constantly promises more? How's that going for us? Not well. We are as overextended and exhausted as we have ever been. And what we're asking in this series is the question of what if our limitations are gifts and not hindrances? What if they are an opportunity to learn to receive these limits and not something that we are called to overcome? And this, this becomes incredibly clear. We talked about Sabbath rest last week, but this becomes incredibly clear when we talk about our relationship with time. I mean, nowhere does our limits seem unavoidable, even really uncomfortable, than when we talk about how we are spending our time. This past week, my wife Erica and I sat down with our schedules as school began to start and began the process of going through how things are changing Uh, We spent a couple hours crying because of all the stuff that's going to begin to happen because of school. But our time is beginning to have to be managed in a different way. And so as I come today and I talk to you about what it means to see our time through the lens of Jesus, what I hope you know is today is not like a Christian-themed TED Talk on time management. I hope you didn't come for that. A, because I'm not qualified. B, because that's not the gospel, and we don't need another guilt trip about how we need to manage our time better. I realize that. But when we do look to the scriptures, we do find a great deal about how we understand time as followers of Jesus and how then we learn to steward this in a very wise and compassionate way. My favorite verse that really is going to serve as a foundation for us today comes from Psalm 90, verse 12. This verse that says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, on the surface, this maybe sounds like a verse that is stating the obvious, that we're finite beings, that our days are numbered. One day we're going to die. But notice here, I want you to see as you look at this verse, it does not say your days are numbered. Get wise. This is a prayer, and rightfully so. It is saying, God Teach us how to number, to measure, to steward the time we have, you and I, with wisdom. And that's a prayer that I want us to pray as modern, busy, 
overextended, often exhausted Americans inhabiting this world, that we might find wisdom in this season. Don't you want wisdom for how to live and inhabit this busy world? I was just going to see if you responded back, but you didn't. So I guess not. I guess we're all good. Um, let's pray. Let's go. All right. But we are going to pray. Father, I, 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 I ask you right now, I need it. I need your wisdom. We need that wisdom that comes from above that you talk about in James. I, I, I want so much more than pragmatic facts about how to do life better. I want the living God to speak into how I spend my time. How I steward these moments that are so fleeting. And so today, may the weight of your presence, may the weight of your love and compassion for where we are, for how busy we are, for how unsettled we often feel, may you, God, speak into that and meet us here in have our hearts open for this. May we respond to you today in what you say and do in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin our conversation really today as we talk about time, talking about how God interacts with time. Specifically, God's relationship with time. Now, I, it's, this is going to sound a little bit like we're, we're going to go out you know, to, to the to the back of the bar one night after a few drinks and this is going to get real heady but I promise you stay with me here right God is not bound by time we need to start with that idea that God does not find himself confined in time the way we are the Bible speaks of God as being eternal he is everlasting he is unchanging he's not bound by the passing years like us as created beings 2 Peter 3 8 says that but not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. You and I, we, we can't comprehend that, right? This is, this is mystery. This is big. Talking about the comprehensive fullness of God being eternal and unchanging. But we need to ask them, this information we're being given in the scriptures, why does this matter to us and how we understand our lives. How does this scripture speak to our life in time? It matters in that God being eternal and being all-knowing, meaning that while you and I can be anxious about our future, God is not anxious about our future. Doesn't that matter to you? I can get really anxious about my future and struggle with what is ahead and how to understand the days that are coming, but I can know in the very least God is not anxious about my future. God holds my future, and therefore I don't have to worry. Psalm 139 reminds us of this. It talks about how God forms us in our womb. He knows and holds our every moment. It says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, I understand that that kind of verse, though, can open some really strange theological questions, some uncomfortable things, because if God knows my whole life, 
if he knows every single day and moment, then why did he let that happen to me? I mean, I understand those questions genuinely. I hope if you feel or are asking those questions eternally, know that you're not out. Those are genuine questions that not only you asked, but the Bible asked as well. And I want to give you today my highly qualified biblical answer to that question. Are you ready? Do you have your notebooks open? The answer to why is, I don't know. And that's about as good a theological answer to that question as anyone is going to give you. I don't know. There is a great deal of mystery when it comes to the character of God. There is a great deal that we can understand about him and what is revealed in Jesus, but there is also a great deal that is and will remain mystery. We see, though, what we can know about God in Jesus, that the gospel begins with God who exists outside of time, choosing to inhabit the time that we are in in Jesus. He takes upon our humanity. Jesus does not just call us to limitations. He enters into these limitations. And when he, we see that suffering that we face in time through the lens of Jesus, I believe for us the cross it becomes this lens through which we see the character of God differently. That when we think about the cross of Christ, God takes even the worst things that happens to us and then redeems it for us, right? We see this in the cross. There is nothing worse than killing God, right? And yet God takes the very worst of what happens to Jesus and redeems it for us. And now, whatever happens in the mystery of our days, we know that what is broken in us can be made whole, can be restored, because whatever happens to us, while we don't know why, we can always know that in Christ it's being redeemed for us. That's good news, right? So in Romans 8 series we just got through, we talked about how this, while we suffer, we can always know that our suffering is never wasted with God because this is the God who numbers our days. He's the one who holds our future. He is not a distant and detached deity that is somewhere up there like a clockmaker watching, observing something and never really truly entering into it. That idea of God is heresy because now we know God is like Jesus. And that's good news. This is the kind of truth that inspires people several throughout the history of the church who have suffered greatly to know and to trust their future to God. People like Corey Ten Boom, who survived the Holocaust, coming out saying that we should never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Whew, that's a word right there. And that comes out of not someone who sit high and mighty in a mansion. That came out of a woman who spent time in concentration camps for helping Jewish families escape. We'd all always see, you and I, what God is doing, but we always, always know what he is doing in Jesus in and through our lives. And so now, that means in Christ, we see time very, very differently. I want to give us three ways, I believe, us as followers of Jesus understand time. First, we approach time with humility. 
James 4 reminds us of this. It says that, that God is not only with us, that he holds our future, and out of that holding, we find humility. He writes, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. Now, look at this verse. Now, I understand a lot of times this has been either interpreted or misunderstood to say, James is, is, is telling us, don't bother planning anything. Don't bother dreaming any sort of dreams for your life. No, your life is a vapor, so just sit on your hands until you go to heaven. I have heard this interpreted that way. I am telling you today, the Bible is not anti-planning. The Bible is not anti-dreaming. It's not asking us to sit on our hands and wait till we go to heaven. What it is saying that our plans and our dreams can, if we are not careful, become idols. They can become the things that we center our lives around. Sometimes our plans and our dreams become reality. I have known and seen this in many of our stories in this room. But if we live long enough, we will also see plans and see dreams that fail us, right? Maybe your life's been on an upward trajectory all the way up to heaven, but for the rest of us who are doing that right here all the time, it is good to know that in my planning and dreaming, God can honor that, but also know that I have to hold these things loosely. I have to understand what I'm living in my life with open hands. What James is teaching us is hold tight to Jesus, but hold your plans with humility, with open hands. He's not saying don't dream. He's saying as you dream, know that Jesus is the only thing that is unchanging, not your plan. And here's something about this living with open hands thing. It leaves us open to the ways in which God surprises us. I mean, think about how, how often in your life some of the best moments have not been things that you planned. They've been things in which God has blown you out of the water, completely screwed up your plans, and then all of a sudden your life is different. Some of my best moments as a husband, as a father, as a pastor have been things I've had nothing to do with planning, but that God has chosen to break through. Let me ask you, when is the last time that God surprised you? When was the last time you were open to God surprising you? That you were open to the possibility of something beyond you plan. Because of this, we learn to approach time with expectancy. Many of you have heard these words before in our discipleship language, and if you're a part of a DNA group or community group, um, this is something that's going to be central to where we're moving forward. But the, in the New Testament, there's two words for time. There's chronos, which is where we get chronological time. That's how we measure the seconds and minutes and hours and days and months and years of our life. But there's this other Greek word that is used quite often in the New Testament, this word kairos. Kairos is a divine moment of breakthrough. It is a moment in the here and now. When kairos happens, it's like God is whispering to us, saying, pay attention. 
Look what I'm doing. I'm speaking, I'm moving, I'm restoring. It's one of the most common English translations for this in the New Testament is this word opportunity. Opportunity is how this word is most often translated. So as followers of Jesus, we live with this expectation of God's presence and his work in our lives in both what we plan and in the ways that he surprises us, looking for and learning to recognize these moments. Our job is to be ready to recognize and to respond what God is doing in the here and now, and not just in the future, in the past, or in what we have planned, but that God could break into time in ways that we do not expect at any moment. My friends Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby, they write about this here on the screen. It says, a kairos moment is a noticing of our internal state. It's noticing and naming a feeling or a thought or a story that I'm telling myself concerning the things that are happening in my life. Learning to notice and name these moments rather than simply react to them as if they are true is a foundational practice of discipleship. I love this. Matt and Ben, they talk about four primary different types of of kairos moments that we're going to look here on the screen. The first is a speed bump. A speed bump is a repeatable pattern, a habit in our lives. Something that we've noticed continues to come up over and over again. It could be good or bad. Something that is slightly disruptive that gives us a chance to pay attention. Like, why am I suddenly getting angry at my kids a lot at this? Or I'm noticing that I'm responding with anxiety when I'm around this person and I'm not really sure why. It's nothing huge, but it's an opportunity to pay attention, a little speed bump in our life where God is asking us to listen. The second one is a brick wall. This one's a little easier to understand. These are the big moments. This is a promotion at work. It's having a baby. It's a broken relationship. It's a cancer diagnosis. These are big, life-altering moments that leave us disoriented, leave us wondering what is next. It takes us out of our comfort zone. These are opportunities, kairos moments for God to step in and bring about some breakthrough in our lives, to listen to what he's saying in these moments. Then there's a mirror. A mirror is a moment where you see yourself clearly in a way that you haven't before. Here's an example. Uh, many years ago, a mentor of mine came to me and said, Justin, I know how you experience you. Let me tell you how everyone else experiences you. And as a young, very arrogant, dumb person, it was really hard to hear, but it was a mirror. And I am to this day grateful that someone had the courage to tell me how everyone else was experiencing me. It was a mirror kairos moment where I saw something in myself that I had never seen before. The final one here is a vision where God allows you to see a glimpse of where he's taking you. He shows you the trajectory of your life. Again, in all of these, it can be good or bad. Sometimes the vision is God in his grace frankly warning you, saying if you don't turn away from these places, these circumstances, these practices in your life, these habits, this is where you are heading and it is tearing you apart. Our job is to listen and respond 
to God breaking into these Kairos moments in our lives. Now, this is a massive, I understand, paradigm shift for those of us who have unintentionally or not learned that there is a divide in our lives between the secular and the sacred. So it's like moments like this. We come into a room like this and we expect to hear from God. We expect to be and do the Christian things in this room. But then when we go out there, when we go to lunch, when we take a nap, when we go to work, when we're off at school, when we're hanging out with our friends, those are the regular everyday moments that you know, we hope that maybe we are good in and we, 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 we show Jesus in, but there's really no God stuff there. This is the God stuff, right? Community groups, the God stuff. DNA groups, the God stuff. Quiet time in the morning or at evening, that's the God stuff. And we have unintentionally, and I would add dangerously, separated our lives between secular and sacred. But the secret is, is that God is present and at work in all. God is just as present at your job, in your school, in your hurt, in your relationship, as he is in this room in this moment. Now, this is a special, holy moment. This is a way that we mark time together as we gather together for worship. But God is just as present, just as at work in the ordinary times of your life, as he is in these moments we have ascribed to God. And discipleship is honoring the ordinary and expecting God to break through. Expecting God to be present and at work where we are. The truth I hope you understand today is that every moment is sacred. Every moment is an opportunity for breakthrough. Every moment is an opportunity for God's voice to speak and to call you into something more. And because that is true, our third thing is that we approach time with intentionality. Because we have come to know and believe that every moment is a holy moment. Every moment is an opportunity for God to move. And when that shifts in us, we begin to move with not only the expectation, but with intentionality in our lives. In the New Testament, it talks about these kairos moments. And when it speaks and uses this word kairos, it's almost never in a setting of a church service. As important as, as gathering is, it's encouraging us to ask with our hands, with our feet, with our voice, how is God bringing his restoring work where I am? There's a couple examples here from the New Testament. Galatians 6 speaks to this, to the divine possibility of what God is doing all throughout the week. In the other 167 hours, Paul writes this. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper time, there's that word kairos, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, kairos, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Do you see that? It's training us, it's teaching us, forming us to go into our world with the expectation that God has already gone ahead of us and has prepared these moments and opportunities to live and to love where we are. Secondly, Colossians 4, 5 speaks to this. Be wise 
in the way that you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Kairos, your ordinary life is lived with the expectation God is already present and at work where I am going, and I'm looking, I'm waiting, I'm discerning where the kingdom might break through as I am. And what I love about this verse in particular, this Colossians 4, 5 verse, is this is not passive. It's not walking around and waiting for God to zap you with some sort of like light bulb moment where all of a sudden like I've downloaded God all of a sudden in my brain and it happened. I've known people that live like that and they creep me out, to be really honest. And I'm sure they creep you out too. This is an intentionality that if God is already present and at work, I can jump into and join the God who is already present. And it's not being passive with that information. It is actively seeking kairos moments, actively seeking opportunities to partner with God. This is acting on this belief and living it out, making the most of every opportunity. That, that, that phrase there in Colossians 4, 5 in the Greek, I have the Greek here on the screen. I am in no way going to try to pronounce that. That's hilarious. But it literally means redeeming the time. To redeem our time. If you look at the original Greek, it means to make the most of every opportunity is to say, I'm going to take the time that has been given, this kairos, and I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to take this moment that otherwise would be ordinary and watch the redemption of God break through. Not passively, but actively joining God's redemption and restoration where we are. That's why we called this church Restoration. Not because we were sitting around and waiting for God to bring about and pour out some big restoration moment, but because he is already active in your story, in your story, in everyone's story. And discipleship and following Jesus for us is all of us learning to discern and respond to how God is bringing restoration right where we are. That's good news to the city, not how awesome this worship service may be, as awesome as it can be and is. What is good news is you living with intentionality in the presence of Jesus where you are and joining him in his work. Amen? Can we, can we know that? Can we know that? So I want to close with a couple of opportunities to talk about what it means to redeem our time. I believe there's a couple of ways this works itself out. Redeeming our time, it's, it's both a structural thing and a spiritual thing. So first, let's talk about the structural idea of redeeming our time, of joining God. If we approach our time with humility and with expectancy and intentionality, it starts, if we're honest, in how we schedule our lives. The truth is, you and I are already living our priorities. You're already living what you love. Our schedule is a theological document. Our schedule proclaims to the world what we believe about God and what we believe about other people. I, I just want to be honest for a minute. Can I, can I have, a, can I have a, an honesty pass as a pastor here real quick for you guys? In 19 years of ministry, people don't fail to get connected into the things of God because they don't think it's valuable. People don't fail to get connected in community because they don't believe in it. It's because we don't make time for it. It's because we aren't intentional with the time we have. And we can say we value these things and want to do these things. I want to do a lot of things I don't have time for. 
But if we value, if we see these things of God as priorities, we will literally make time for it. I'm speaking to you not as the person up here, but as one of all of us who struggle sometimes to look at my schedule and say, I'm not valuing what I say I value. I'm valuing me more than what I say I value. And this is a hard, hard truth I'm wrestling with, we are wrestling with as a family right now, is how we honor what we say we value through our schedule, through how we plan and understand our life. And when it comes to this investment in our spiritual and relational health, what I have seen time and time again, again, you said I could be honest, I'm going to, is that we're just too tired to try most of the time. Everyone loves it, but when it comes time to days like this, we're worn out. And when we're worn out, the thing that we say we value always falls to the ground. Again, ask me how I know this. I stand with you under that challenge. I speak that to me and to myself and my family as well. If I don't schedule my priorities and see my schedule as a theological declaration, as a sermon in and of itself of what I actually value, I'll never see change. Secondly, though, the spiritual aspect of redeeming our time. We have to intentionally work to dismantle the walls of secular and sacred that we have built in our minds and begin to see every moment as a holy moment, ripe with opportunity, pregnant with possibility for God to break through. There's something that happens in us when we begin to see and believe that God is already present and at work, that I don't have to work him up, that I don't have to live with an urgency to impress him, that he's already here. Nothing changed the atmosphere, not only I think our staff, our services more, than the idea of really settling into we don't have to sing the right songs and do the right things to get God to show up. What a relief. What a relief. And what kind of a God would that be? But that God was waiting for us here. God was ready with open arms the moment you walked in this door. You didn't have to get your crap together. You didn't have to show up ready and willing. You could come in in your weariness and wounds and brokenness, and God receives you because God is already present and at work. And so for us, discipleship, which we'll be talking more about in the coming days through not only our community, but through our next vision series that's coming up here next month. But the heart of discipleship, I believe, is learning to be present to God, to a God who is already present to us in these moments. When we gather, not only in rooms like this, but in our community group, we're doing this not to get God to show up, not to get God to be present, because we often are not the ones who are present. We're often the ones who haven't showed up, right? We're somewhere else. Our bodies are here, our minds and our spirits are far away. Discipleship is the process of learning to be present to a God who is already present to you. And so I would love to leave this place today empowered with this hope that you're going to walk out into this week knowing 
that God has already prepared holy moments, opportunities, kairos for you where you are. And to live with that expectation and living into that together. Let me pray for us as we move into a time of communion. And I want to just go to the Lord and allow him to speak what he wants to speak to us today. Maybe he's saying something to you about something you need to say no to in order to say yes to what you value. Maybe God is saying that you are so tied into your schedule and your dreams and your reality that you have failed to be open to the surprises and the mystery of God breaking into the ordinary. Whatever it may be, however God is responding and speaking to you today, let us be present to the God who is already present for us. So Father, as we sing these songs, as we pray together, as we turn into this moment of responding to what you're speaking through your word today, I would ask that the busyness and the pace of life that we often carry into this room would just supernaturally slow down for a moment. And that you would give us the confidence to know that we don't have to say the right words to you. We don't have to figure anything out today. All we have to do is just simply be present, just like you're present, to listen, to respond. God, maybe right now for someone is a kairos moment, is a breakthrough moment where they see something they have never seen before in themselves or in you. And may, may we not waste that, God. May we listen to what you are speaking and saying to us today. Maybe we need to take that step and follow Jesus for the first time. Maybe we need to take that step and say, I'm, I'm done with the old. I want the new. Rededicate my whole life to following you again, Jesus. Whatever that may be, may we listen and respond with expectancy that you're going to move right here and right now as you already are. Thank you for meeting us here in Jesus' name. We're going to celebrate communion together. We do this every week as a tangible reminder that God has reconciled us to himself and to one another. Cracker representing Jesus' body broken for us. The juice representing his blood shed for our sins. We have some elements here. We have some on the column in the back and the lobby as well. You don't have to participate in this, um, but we encourage you to. This table is open to people who are coming and receiving Jesus. Again, you don't have to get your life cleaned up. Come and receive what the Lord is speaking and doing to you today. Let's worship.